0: Are you about to scream because the expense app that you use lacks customer support? Are you frustrated because the expense app you use charges your clients for all their employees when only a few employees filed their expense reports that month? Do you hate it when in-app ads disrupt your work? If you said yes to any of these questions, stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, File, later in the episode they should have the ProAdvisor Pavilion. Any ProAdvisor, if you're a certified ProAdvisor for QuickBooks, you can just go to a game for free, sit up there, enjoy the game.
1: A special box just for the ProAdvisors. That would be
0: amazing. Just a suggestion, just a suggestion. That's all.
1: This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver.
0: And I'm David Leary. Blake, how does it feel? This is your second day, third day of your new career endeavors.
1: It feels good. I've got a podcast in the works. I've been doing a bit of consulting. It feels good to be an entrepreneur again.
0: It's a pretty full schedule for two days.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, I like to stay busy. Have you uh,
0: seen Intuit in the news this week? I mean, they've been super
1: busy. Yeah, so last week we talked about it was two weeks ago,
0: two episodes ago, the rumor of Mailchimp,
1: acquisition. the rumor of the Mailchimp acquisition for twelve billion dollars. Yes, and, and well, the then the rumor was
0: ten, but we put a stake in the ground. We said it was going to happen.
1: Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It made
0: sense once we started looking at it. It made a lot of sense.
1: And they did that. That actually happened. So good, good thing we didn't report for twelve on billion for twelve billion. Yeah, so more, and now. Intuit has secured the Clippers Arena naming rights for $500 million. It's not Intuit Arena. It's not QuickBooks. You had some good ideas. QuickBooks Desktop Dome. QuickBooks Desktop Dome, <laughs> ProAdvisor Pavilion. There should be That has a, a nice Ad- ring, actually. I like that one, the
0: ProAdvisor Pavilion.
1: There should definitely be a ProAdvisor Pavilion in the Intuit Dome, which is the official name of the new Clippers Arena in Los Angeles. Intuit Dome, $500 million. I do like the QuickBooks Desktop Dome. And and the reason you uh, suggested that, David, I think is because the naming rights, it's a 23-year deal. You're willing to bet that QuickBooks Desktop will still be here in 23 years? It, it, it was, yes, in jest. You're, you're
0: training accounts on QuickBooks Cloud. You're launching QuickBooks Live. And in the meantime, desktop had like a price increase and it just won't die and go away. Mm -hmm. And you're right. If you're not going to kill it, you might as well just call the stadium QuickBooks desktop.
1: So most of the feedback was positive. There was uh, one tweet that caught my attention from Isai Cortez. He said, Intuit raised prices, convinced you all it was necessary for rising costs, then bought MailChimp and writes to an empty stadium. Get mad, but you are all staying with Intuit, LOL. You know, it is interesting, right, that this is coming on the heels of frequent and massive price increases for QuickBooks. Now we have a we have a dome. I don't understand why didn't they call it the QuickBooks dome or TurboTax dome? Yeah, because nobody outside of the accounting world knows what Intuit is, and that's why they're doing this. I
0: think because they want more people to know that Intuit exists. Because like my whole entire career, when I was at Intuit, I'd get on an airplane flight and you'd sit next to somebody, and they say, "Where do you work?" I'd say, "Intuit," and they're like, "What?" And then I'd say, "Well, QuickBooks." What? Then I'd say, "TurboTax." They're like, "Oh yeah, I know where you work." Until QuickBooks really started running Super Bowl ads people didn't know what QuickBooks was until four or five years ago in, in the grand scheme of things. Well, they, so it, yeah. it is tricky. And then this is that Microsoft, right? Like there's Xbox and people know of that, but people still know Microsoft. And I think that's always a, a tricky position Intuit's always been in, getting the Intuit brand bigger. Right. It's right. hard because TurboTax is such an amazingly valuable brand on its own.
1: I mean, if it were me, I would have called it the QuickBooks dome or something. I guess I understand trying to raise the Intuit profile, but they did that Super Bowl commercial. I don't know when it was. I can't remember, but they had the giant robots and that was going to be the new mascot for Intuit was these giant robots helping business owners. Remember that? Yes. Animated. Clearly somebody there likes the Iron Giant, which I have to say is a great underrated children's movie with a giant robot. But I think there's a reason that Giant robots just aren't aren't like the best mascot. So a few things caught
0: my eye about this. One of them actually happened last week. They finally had football at the SoFi Stadium in LA. So that's the big football stadium they just built. Mm -hmm. And SoFi made an announcement that Square is going to be the official everything inside of that stadium for the next decade or so. Intuit must have been doing this deal way before. It just it was not a reaction to something that happened a week ago. <laughs> right. And you know, so everything you do at the stadium, you obviously are going to have square terminals. You order your beers from the beer vendor, it's gonna be price square. It's gonna be square everywhere at that stadium. And so when I saw this announcement, that's what threw me through my head is like, oh, you're gonna be using the Intuit uh merchant service, what's it called? Go payment
1: deal. Does any does anyone even use that? Well, you will if you
0: go to this Intuit Dome. I I, I would not be surprised because they, they talk about how they're going to use technology that allows fans to purchase concessions automatically, be charged without using cash or cards. So I think there's going to be mm. some level of this happening. The other thing that went off in my head was like, hey, now they have a venue for QuickBooks Connect, a built-in <laughs> venue every single year for the next 23 years. The interesting thing, though, is the amount of money that's being spent on these stadium deals. They're talking about how when Staples paid to sponsor the Staples Center in LA in 1999, they only had to pay $100 million. And recently, Chase Bank struck a deal for the Golden State Warriors, and they paid $300 million. And so now, if you want to sponsor a stadium, it's, it's a half a billion dollars now to put your name on a stadium.
1: Hey, there's only so many stadiums. It's not like they're building a lot of them, right?
0: And they're locking these companies into... 20 year deals now. and yeah. Intuits is a 23 year old, 23 year deal, apparently. The crazy thing, I was thinking about Staples. Staples now has a lifetime pack. They renewed it for lifetime, but I don't think Staples is going to be around that long.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's the bet that the stadium owners are making that the Staples brand will will go away before then.
0: And actually okay. it would be cheaper. Let's say Amazon wants to change the name of the stadium. It might be cheaper for them to just acquire Staples than actually pay the naming
1: rights <laughs> for, for the stadium. naming rights.
0: It, 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 stadium mm. naming rights is now like its own SPAC kind of thing, does, right? The does
1: Amazon have a stadium? I feel like they don't. I would know if they did. Yeah, I don't think they do. Well, there you go. That's your prediction for uh, 10 years from now. Staples goes out of business. Amazon acquires them, and gets the naming rights.
0: Will be that. The Clippers built their stadium in Inglewood. And they're going to you know, create 7,000 full-time and part-time jobs. And Intuit's really looking at this as part of their initiatives for their – what do you call the prosperity zones? Prosperity hubs. Remember oh, how pro- Intuit's creating um, prosperity hubs? They have them in West Virginia where they're going to mm-hmm. do – their small business tools. There's jobs at Intuit. There's an additional commitment to the community essentially. Mm, yeah, yeah. So Intuit's tying this to some recent donations they've uh, donated to the Los Angeles School District. They're gonna help taxpayer assistance, they're gonna host educational events. So really tying this sponsorship to a commitment to the Inglewood community as well. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by ClientHub. Are you looking for an amazingly simple way to manage both your internal workflow and your external client communication? Introducing ClientHub, the only workflow solution that automates getting clients' answers because it has client communications built in. ClientHub is a modern all-in-one workflow platform with a built-in client portal for secure client collaboration that automates client requests for everything you need to complete your work, and includes an internal workspace for your team to manage those work deadlines, and it even includes tools to help your team do the work faster. Your clients will love the easy-to-use ClientHub web portal and mobile app. When using Client Hub, everything is in one place. Your staff and your clients are always in the loop, and nothing falls through the cracks. Client Hub currently has an amazing offer just for our listeners 25% off your first three months by using promo code CAP25. Head over to promo slash client hub. That is promo forward slash C L I E N T H U B.
1: So since we're talking about Intuit, going back to the uh, MailChimp acquisition, there was a story on Insider. The headline is, MailChimp employees are furious after the company's founders promised to never sell, withheld equity, and then sold it for $12 billion. I think we discussed this when we talked about the deal, that the two co-founders of MailChimp, I think there's two of them. They own the whole company. They never took outside investment. They never took venture capital. So they're getting giant checks for this acquisition. Quote, when employees were recruited to work at MailChimp, there was a common refrain from hiring managers. No, you are not going to get equity, but you will get to be part of a scrappy company that fights for the little guy, and we will never be acquired or go public. The founders told anyone who would listen, they would own MailChimp until they died and bragged about turning down multiple offers. It was part of the company lore that they would never sell, said a former MailChimp employee. Employees were indoctrinated with this narrative. And of course, the two founders did sell. So it's creating a little bit of fallout at MailChimp. I wonder if this is going to create some sort of exodus, but I did see later in the article, That MailChimp, which has 1,200 employees, is getting some sort of retention bonus from Intuit to keep these people on. So $200 million of the acquisition is going to employee options or equity or something. And everything has context, right?
0: And my understanding is MailChimp, though, did really take care, genuinely take care of their employees. They did not give equity, but your 401k match, 25%, and you instantly vested
1: yeah, and, well, and, so, and, they,
0: so they so they didn't they they had a, a decent bonus structure, so they, it wasn't like they were paying people cheaply. And then, you know, they did take care of their employees. I think they probably set out to not sell, but I, I see why people are upset because each founder now is probably walking around out with five billion dollars each.
1: <laughs> you know, I don't blame them. If you're an employee and you accept an offer where you don't get equity, that's on you. I mean, you chose to take more salary over equity. And that's generally how it works.
0: And and what Uh, set this up is because they were in in Atlanta, VCs wouldn't invest in them. Now, companies will invest in companies in Atlanta and other cities,
1: but there was
0: a time- 20 years ago, no. Companies like a T-Sheets would not have gotten an investment either in Boise, Idaho. There was a time where if you weren't in the Bay Area, you weren't getting an investment from any VCs.
1: Right, right, right.
0: This was the anti-Silicon Valley company. They were heading down that other path. So one of the quotes, I think, from a foreign employee that said, it, they talked about having that guaranteed amount of money in their 401k every year was really nice versus working for a startup where at the end, the equity was zero.
1: And most startups, that's how it works. Yes. Yeah. The problem is the messaging, right? If you're going around telling everyone you hire that we're, we're going to be privately owned, we're never going to take out investment <laughs> forever, and then you go and do it, that's a problem.
0: Because they're going to have some portion of their employees that sign up for that. Right. That's the That's ride what they, they want to be on.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the reality hits them in the face. Hey, so maybe some of these accounting firms that are taking on outside investment from private equity firms are having some of these issues too. So, so, so
0: you're saying, you're saying firms. So last week reported on it was?
1: It was Amper Eisner, which is a top 20 firm. They are reporting that they took private equity money- They're splitting their firm in two, so their CPA firm, which is what they were before this deal happened, so that is going to just do audit, and then all the tax and advisory is going into an LLC that is funded by this private equity firm, and it's not going to be a CPA firm anymore, and that's where the growth opportunity is, and I'm really interested in watching this because this is the alternative to the pilot model, to the bench model, to all of these startups that are starting from scratch operating as non-CPA firms. Well, now we have a CPA firm saying, uh, we want to be in that game too. We're just going to be a corporate model. The details are not clear as to whether or not they're getting rid of the partnership structure, but it sounds like they have to, to do this. So now it's like there's a CEO and there's uh, investors and there's a board and all that. So yeah, and it's, so now it's you're a saying huge deal.
0: More firms have, uh, within a week are starting to head down this this trend.
1: Yeah, I don't know if it's like as a result of this or these are just other deals that we haven't been paying attention to. There was a story in accounting today. The headline is private equity firms take stakes in accounting firms. Reporting on two other deals that have recently happened, a firm called Lightyear Capital has partnered with Shellman & Co. Lightyear said Friday that its affiliated investment funds have agreed to acquire assets from and partner with Shellman informing a new technology and cybersecurity venture known as Shellman Compliance, LLC. There you have it again. It's a limited liability company, not a CPA firm. This is a Tampa-based firm. Shellman is taking their licensed CPA firm, and that's just going to do attest services, whereas Shellman Compliance, LLC, will provide all the non-attest services. Shellman is ranked 65 on accounting today's 2021 list of the top 100 firms. They have 77 million in revenue. The other deal is a firm that I have worked with personally. So I'm excited to hear about this. CFGI is a Boston based non audit accounting advisory firm. So they don't do any audit already. They're not a CPA firm. They had already previously taken private equity and now they're taking on more. The investment is valuing CFGI at approximately $1.85 billion. So how does that compare to the Pilot valuation? Do you remember what Pilot was valued at? It was a little ridiculous because I think they would have been like the seventh most valuable firm, right? I'm going to look it up. $1.2 billion. So now we have a new winner. CFGI is valued at $1.85 billion according to this new private equity investment. So they, they've actually – they're the original apparently in terms of – All right. So you of,
0: split off, put your audit and tax in a bucket over here on the left and move no, all just, your other stuff to the right. Just bucket. the audit. Just, just the, the audit. Just, just the audit. You, you shave off the audit and its own firm that nobody that's cares th- about.
1: Yeah, that, and, <laughs> uh, and then you have more value. <laughs> right, right. Because the audit firm – is a CPA firm. They're gonna operate under a partnership model. They've got all these rules they gotta follow. They've got all this regulation they're under.
0: And might not just like just stop doing the audit partner firm? Just kill the whole thing. Like, 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 who's who's gonna sign up? Like,
1: I guess I'll be the partner that stays in the audit division. Well, the audit partners. So that's what you're doing. You're you're carving them out, letting them do their thing. They're the traditional CPA firm business, and they're probably getting some buyout as part of this deal. Or maybe they still somehow get money from this non CPA firm they have to own
0: some part of the other.
1: Yeah, you know, you got to structure these legal agreements where you can share resources and stuff. The firms can still work together, even though they're legally separate. You just have to be really careful about how you structure that so you don't get in trouble with violating independence and all this stuff with clients. But it's it's better to be two different companies than to be one, just because of the way the regs are are, are issued. And then. You can take in private equity because you're no longer a CPA firm. You can be a corporate model. You can have a board. You can have investors. You can operate like a real business as opposed to a partnership where it's hard to grow a partnership because you got to vote on everything and then you have people dragging their feet. The classic innovation killer is the old partners who don't want to change. Yeah. Now you don't have that. So this is going to be a trend, I imagine. So we've got three firms in the top 100 already doing it. CFGI now the most valuable firm, <laughs> one of the most valuable firms in the top 100. If Pilot was number seven at 1.2 billion, CFGI's got to be bigger at 1.85. Maybe the most valuable firm outside of the big four. I think we're going to see more private equity deals because there's just so much money floating around that it makes sense for firms to take on this money. Like if Pilot can go raise all that money and not even have a thousand clients, CFGI, which has 2,500 clients and they're very big clients can go out and raise way more money at a better valuation, right? They can can get cheap money to just fuel their growth. Everyone's looking for investment opportunities. Accounting firms are actually really good investment opportunities. If you get rid of the traditional partner model, they can be really, really lucrative. For private equity, which doesn't need the crazy VC returns, they just need the double-digit returns. They don't need the triple-digit
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R E W I N D. You just have to make sure you invest into an accounting firm that has integrity. I don't know if you saw, did you see what happened with KPMG down in Australia? Some sort of
1: scandal, I'm going to guess, based on your tone? Well, they're cheating on their tests. KPMG here got in trouble for that, right? They were cheating on the ethics exams. Like it was kind of ironic, right? Or was that KPMG? It was one of the big four got caught. Yeah, I don't know uh,
0: what happened in the States here, but they they basically they were cheating on their... Uh, yeah, it was widespread cheating on tests designed to ensure that partners and staff acted with integrity. So essentially, yes, they're they're cheating, cheating on their, on their ethics steps, exams. Ethics <laughs> exams. Probably between 2016 to the early two, uh, 2020, they would text answers to each other. They'd send emails or spreadsheets with all the answers to each other. And it affected about uh, 1,100 staffers and partners. Two partners
1: were forced to retire over this. Wait, and another so 16 received formal warnings. 1,100 staff and 250 auditors. How many you said partners were involved in this too?
0: Yeah, 16 partners received formal warnings. Oh my gosh. And had their income docked by tens of thousands of dollars.
1: So KPMG Australia was fined by US PCAOB. Wow. They were sharing answers for online exams. And you said it was it was a 4-year period or longer. I guess maybe they stopped when – because the KPMG one in the U.S. was recent, right? So maybe they stopped when that came out. So there's a quote
0: in here from Andrew Yates, who's the KPMG Australia chief executive. He said that the cheating has been totally unacceptable, a clear breach of the firm's code of conduct. I was incredibly disappointed It reflects poorly on all of us in the firm. But as I've said before, I think we have great integrity and great intent. (laughs) We've self-reported and been under program of remediation. And then the funny part goes to what you've always said. So the PCAOB, they, they talked about how, you know, they were sharing answers through email, attaching documents with the answers to training test questions. Real time during the test, they would do text messages or instant messages. They'd save answers to a shared server. Or they would just take the test in front of others and people just yell out the
1: answers over the side of their cube. Lovely. It, it goes to everything that we do as auditors, as protectors of the public markets. If the incentive structure of accounting incentivizes you to be unethical, you're probably going to end up being unethical. Incentives matter. And, and also, if there's no oversight, they're going to cheat.
0: And this goes to how you say that PCAOB is just a like kind of a front for people at the big four and they just go back and forth. and jump between the two. So they also, at the same time, the PCAOB, they lauded KPMG Australia for its quote-unquote extraordinary cooperation in resolving the matter.
1: All right. So that's like I'm a student and I cheat on my test in school and and I tell my teacher that I cheated because I know she's going to find out. And then my teacher praises me in front of the class.
0: Exactly. It's almost like the PCAOB is reporting on these problems. They're bringing it up. But at the same time, they don't have any guts to really say, like, shame on you. They still have to compliment them during this process.
1: And what was the penalty here? Was there a real penalty? It was a
0: forty-five. Uh, I'm sorry, $450,000 fine.
1: $450,000 fine is nothing. These firms bring in billions of dollars a year. It's nothing.
0: And not only that, they didn't even have to admit. The firm neither admitted nor denied the board's findings.
1: Oh, wow. That's great. On a smaller scale, you want to talk about perverse incentives. I've got one practice management story here. From our friend Ed Mendelowitz, one of his recent posts, the headline drew my attention. It's, why does all work take so long? Ed breaks down into two things. He says there's the time it takes to do the work and the time it takes to get the work through your office and out to the client. So the delivery of the returns. I think a lot of firms suffer with this. It just seems like returns or work or just anything just, just sits there for so long and the clients get mad because they want stuff delivered and everything seems to take so long. I experienced
0: this. I didn't, I didn't get mad, but I experienced this on getting my corporate return out the door this year.
1: So Ed breaks it down into a bunch of different issues. There's leadership, management, supervision, training, system and process or scope creep issues. And I think this is all great, but I don't think this actually addresses the number one reason why work takes so long to get done in an accounting firm. Based on my own personal experience, I think the number one reason that work takes so long is because we incentivize people to take a long time to do it. A billable hour. and The, the billable bonuses. hour, yeah. The way that we pay them is based on billable hours. And so you have every incentive to take as long as possible to do it. Because if you finish it, you're just going to get more work. And there's an unlimited amount of work. You will never be done. Your plate will always be full. So why would you go faster?
0: I, I don't think this is a problem just with accounting firms. And I don't think it's only a problem with the billable hour. I'm, I'm a construction project here that's now, you know, we're going into October. That was supposed to be done in April. And I'm not paying by the hour. It's just getting materials, getting labor mm-hmm. to show up. Just in general, like
1: it just takes a long time to get things done. And I could say the same thing working at startups. Like, Do your contractors have any incentive to finish it sooner? Well, like, I'm sitting any on financial... that, last,
0: that last progress payment, right? You're, you're sitting on the last payment, right. which is essentially their profit. You're right, but other than, check.
1: other than that, that's it, right? And if they know that you're going to pay them that, if they're confident that they're going to get that payment, they, they don't Eventually. really have a reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but they got more work than they can handle right now, right?
0: Yeah, so, but, but but everything but everything just takes long to do. Like I, I think in our brains we think, like, oh, it's just an easy job, it'll be done, but I just think everything takes longer than everybody thinks.
1: Well, imagine if, though, on your construction project with your contractor, you made a deal where you say, I will pay you 20% more if you deliver all the work by this date to the standard. It would probably get done by then. I'm just throwing it's that possible.
0: out there. It's possible. It's true. It's just there's a lot of variables that my contractor is dependent on. They like, did this yeah, company you know, the glass? Is the
1: glass sitting in a
0: boat in the middle of um, the Pacific Ocean trying to get into the port of LA? Like, the trickle is very hard for somebody to... Back up again, or people willing <coughs> to do a guarantee like that. I think.
1: I just think there is a way to incentivize it. I think they just yeah. don't have an incentive right now, and so they, they have every incentive to just take on as many jobs as they can possibly handle, and then just get them done eventually. Because the the money's all there. It's all it's all whip for them. It's work in process. They know that they're going to get paid. Consider an incentive structure in your firm where people actually get incentivized and and rated based on how quickly they deliver work and you know you don't want them to be too quick because then they'll be sloppy so you have some sort of quality control metric and you also have a speed metric you know we say we're going to try to get all returns through our system within x number of days i mean that's what costco does right when you go to costco they have it
0: clocked. they're timing how long it takes you to get to the cash register but then they have the person double checking the receipts at the door Mm -hmm. their quality and their speed
1: i don't know exactly the answer but that's what i would look to I think the other stuff can help, but nothing can overcome the incentive of people just needing as many billable hours as they can get. They'll go as slow as they can. I got one more follow-up before we go into the rest of our stuff. It's time to look back and remember some of our PPP fraud news. Do you remember the star from Love and Hip Hop Atlanta? Maurice Mo Fain is a cast member, or was a cast member on that show, and committed PPP fraud he has been sentenced, the, the government went after him big time, sentenced to 17.5 years for his role in PPP loan fraud. He defrauded the system to the tune of $3.7 million, funded a lavish lifestyle, and claimed that he employed 107 people in his trucking business with a monthly payroll of close to $1.5 million. Of course, that wasn't the case. He did not have nearly that many people working for him, and he was up against something like 30 years, and he got 17.5. Just to recap on this, I want to frame this up
0: because it ties into my next story. He took $3 million from the PPP Uh, program?
1: 3.7 million. Yes, defrauded the system to $3.7 million. They tried to put him in jail for 30 years. Well, that was the max.
0: The max. He got 17-year sentence. Okay.
1: And and let's just put this in the context. I know you you've got something you're going to follow up with, but let's just remember, KPMG massively cheated on ethics exams and got hit with a half half, half a million dollar, million dollar fine. And and I'm sure nobody and is never gonna... even had to admit they did anything wrong. Yeah, and they got complimented for it. And they got complimented <laughs> for admitting complimented. that they did something wrong.
0: And the reason we're asking this is so I have an article about. The Elizabeth Holmes trial. So, Elizabeth Holmes.
1: Uh, she Theranos. Of Theranos.
0: Theranos. You know, the little vial and they could take your little drop of blood and figure out 10,000 diseases you might have. Right? Yes. She's on her fraud trial. There's plenty of podcasts you can listen to. There's documentaries. Like, we don't have to go into the details of this. But the only reason I brought to the show this week is they're at the point in the trial where they're basically opening up Microsoft Excel email attachments.
1: What kind of spreadsheets are we going, talking about? They're
0: going through that. So they start going through these spreadsheets that were attached to the emails, and there was two major cash crunches, one in 2009 and another in 2013. And the one in 2009, when it started to get really tight, she had to send updates. This Denise Yam had to send that, updates to Holmes and Bowani, who's the other CEO. I think The one who was,
1: was her boyfriend also. Her boyfriend, yep. And on a weekly basis. And ECM was their controller. Their controller. Like that, so that's what's interesting. is like, so they actually put the accountant on the stand.
0: And so they were burning about $2 million a week. We, we've talked about this for accounting for startups. The financial statements for 2012, there's no line for revenue. And there was no line from 2013 either. We've joked about this. Like, this is why it's, you should do accounting for startups. It's easy. They have no revenue. It's just expenses. Yes. Just expenses. Then they were uh, working with a consulting company on pricing the employee's stock options. And so the controller sends an email about what the estimate of trying to get the estimate of the 2015 revenue and Holmes writes back and says, it'll be about hundred million. So this is like documented in a spreadsheet, but then in a whole different document that's giving to investors, they showed the revenue projections as 140 million and that in 2015, that was going to be 990 million in 2016. And so the controller did not give these numbers.
1: The controller never provided these numbers. Right. So she has no That's idea where tes- these numbers
0: came from, but they were just yeah. given
1: to the investors. That's what she testified. So she testified to never preparing any financial projections. So the question is, where did Holmes get these numbers that she gave to all the investors?
0: And what happened was it, it made you value Toronto's two different ways. It was either worth $1.9 or the other way it was worth
1: $9.5 According to the prosecutors, their actual revenue never exceeded $1.4 They had that in 2010, then it halved to like half a million in 2011 and down to zero in 2012 and 2013. So during this time, they were making no money.
0: And and this is hundreds of millions of dollars of fraud. And Mm -hmm. my my understanding is I've seen some articles like 17 years in prison. So this guy did the PPP loan fraud and he's going to go to prison
1: for more possibly? It's just so screwed up. All right. You want to hit app news? Yeah, let's jump in. I'm excited that Zerocon is going to be coming back to the U.S. Zerocon will be in New Orleans in 2022. The dates, May 25th to 26th at the Ernst N. Morial Convention Center. They should have held it at the Intuit Dome. (laughs) (laughs) Good quote in here. We hope you'll join us at what some have affectionately coined as the Coachella for accountants and bookkeepers to reconnect with other forward-thinking professionals to celebrate accomplishments and to learn more about the latest Xero tools and features. I've never been to Coachella, but I've been to a bunch of Xero cons. So I guess now I need to go to Coachella because I think uh, apparently I'll like it.
0: I think that's a interesting uh, jump in comparison. Now, I have not been to Coachella <laughs> either, but you know, I've been to some music festivals in my day. I think it's a bit of a stretch, a bit of a stretch.
1: I mean, I don't like standing all day long. I don't like being dusty and I, I don't like porta potties. So I feel like that rules out Coachella for me.
0: Exactly. And so that, that, that description is not what Zero-Con's like. Right? <laughs> you have know, Freaking bathrooms. You're not sleeping in a tent with your friends that you yeah. traveled there with. Right. So toast, they do restaurant point of sales. They plan on going, uh, public, right? They're going to have their IPO soon. And mm-hmm. it's looking like they're going to have an IPO, raise about $717 million, driving its value to $16.5 billion. They have about 48,000 restaurant locations, which is about 29,000 customers because you know, some customers have more than one restaurant. And they currently have a 6% share of the 860,000 US restaurants. So Toast is doing very well. And if you remember, we go back to the beginning of, beginning of the pandemic, they laid off all their employees. They were so scared that every restaurant oh, really? was going to reopen. Wow. And then they they pretty much have had their greatest year. Because what happened is the restaurants that did stay open, they needed to move to online ordering, point of sale. And, and Toast really enabled a lot of that to happen. You could get the Toast platform and get a lot of the stuff you needed, contactless ordering, out of the box. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the one that I've seen all the QR codes on. It's, it's people using Toast, restaurants using Toast. And one of my favorite restaurants here in Scottsdale... They use toast tab for delivery. So you go on their website and you want to order online, it's a toast website that's integrated into their point of sale and and they probably don't have to pay those ridiculous Grubhub fees or whatever.
0: Yeah. If, if I if I was an accountant, I'd be getting the domain toastcpa.com, right? Toastbookkeeper.com. I'd be there's a whole area for you to jump in on this.
1: Toasty CPA. I like that. Toasty CPA.
0: This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Approval Max. During my career, I've worked on both ends of the AP process—from the scanning of the bills and now paying of bills. Repeatedly, the one thing that I've heard over and over again is, "What about the approval of bills?" This is where Approval Max comes in. Approval Max enables flexible multi-step approvals for key accounts payable documents. By using Approval Max, you can ensure a bill is approved before it ever gets entered into QuickBooks Online. Approval requests can be routed based on QBO data like vendor, amounts, category, and class. Then once the bill is approved, it'll move to the accounting system to be paid, and it'll even include an attached audit trail documenting the approval details. Approval Max makes approvers work easier as well with automated notifications and a mobile app. Approval Max offers direct integration with Dex Prepare to ensure you have a completely paperless accounts payable process from capturing to approving to paying. If you want to learn more about Approval Max and to get your free partner edition of Approval Max, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash approvalmax. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-P-P-R-O-V-A-L-M-A-X.
1: Zoom, everyone's favorite video conferencing application, is investing an additional $30 million in NEAT. To further innovate the modern workspace that's the headline on the zoom blog so this is not the company we had two weeks ago who now launched gl but which was at one time called neat receipts the scanner no. company this is a different no. company called neat yes different company called neat that makes video conferencing devices and one of the problems that zoom has had is they build excellent software. But their hardware partners are sometimes lacking. As I experienced when I tried to order a home video conferencing setup through one of Zoom's hardware partners, the product, I pre-ordered it, product never came. I guess they had major issues and they just gave up. Did you give your money back? I got my money back. But it was going to be one of these under $1,000 soundbar webcam things you put on top of your TV. Most of these devices, including the ones that Neat sells, are... $3,000. $3,000. But with that, you get actual video conferencing that doesn't suck. I've wanted to splurge on this, but it's just so expensive. It's like they have this small one. It's called the the neat board. It's like a, a touchscreen board you can draw on like, like a whiteboard, but it's also a screen and it has a built-in camera and soundbar. So it's a standalone device that you can roll around. It's like $5,000. So anyway, my hope is with this investment that Zoom is going to make these devices more affordable for home use. And they need to get to scale. They they need to do all that kind of stuff to make this work.
0: So I have another example of a company get, kind of getting into our space indirectly. So Chewy.com. Are you familiar with what Chewy is? Isn't that the, the toys uh, like for pet dogs and cats? pet and toys. Pe- <laughs> yeah, delivery service for your pet. Exactly. They have a prescription platform that 8,000 veterinarians use to review and approve prescriptions. But now they're expanding this out to a product called Practice Hub. And Practice this hub. hub lets you, as a veterinarian, set prices, create pre-approved medication prescriptions. So it's almost like a, an online website or a shopping cart. The pet parents, when they order items through the clinic or buy from chew.com, you get a piece of the action as a veterinarian. And so that's going to be the next question you're going to get from your veterinarian client. Like, how do I sync my data that's in... My Chewy Practice Hub into QuickBooks Zero. So you go get Chewy CPA too while well, you're at it if you want to go into a niche.
1: Chewy CPA, love it. Hey, sponsor of the show, Rewind, backup provider, recovery platform for SaaS apps has raised sixty five million dollars in a Series B round of funding. I saw this in Venture Beat. They were founded out of Ottawa, Canada, in two thousand fifteen and historically offered data backup services for Shopify, Big Commerce, and QuickBooks Online. Earlier this year, they acquired BackHub, so they can backup GitHub, and they added a support for Trello. So they're moving beyond just accounting. What's really interesting about Rewind is that they're not really protecting against total failure if QuickBooks Online gets hit by a meteorite. I think that was actually in one of the, yeah, ads, the that, ads. yeah. If, if Intuit's data center gets hit by a meteorite, that's going to be okay because they have other data centers where all this data is backed up. The issue is not restoring from zero. The issue that Rewind solves is version control, which you don't get in SaaS apps most of the time. Which you used to be able to do with a QuickBooks
0: desktop. You would, at Monday, you'd back up to your Monday disk and on Tuesday, the Tuesday disk. And then at the end of the week, you always had seven days of rollback you could go to. Yes. In case you got a temp worker that messed up your
1: data or an app, roll gap, or your power outage, you always could roll back. And you with cloud and SaaS, you can't really do that. You can't roll back. So if you do a integration that just goes rogue and messes up all your data, you're kind of screwed unless you have Rewind. So this is apparently something that is highly in demand. And that's why Rewind was able to get this investment protecting against those kind of catastrophes. There's another interesting tidbit in here from Gartner. Gartner forecasts that global cloud end user spending is going to grow 18% in 2021, of which SaaS remains the largest segment, at 117.7 billion this year, up from 101 billion in 2020. So SaaS, public SaaS, uh, cloud SaaS is is big, big business now and growing 20% year over year.
0: And I think the other part of that article that struck my eye is, my eye was how they're announcing their plans to integrate with so many more things: so Zero, Zendesk, GitLab, Bitbucket, Jira, Weebly, HubSpot, Soho, Confluence, Basecamp, Monday.com, Manzana, Airtable. It's just amazing. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and Basically, any SaaS app that has a considerable amount of users and would have this dependency of like, oh, God, if my data gets messed up, that's a lot of work to fix. Th- they're yeah. rolling in to be the
1: default, de facto backup product for that. ADP has announced improvements to its run payroll system, and they're adding vaccine tracking. Those who are following all the COVID-19 news know that the Biden administration is putting in regulations through OSHA that all businesses with more than 100 employees are going to have to track vaccine status of their employees to either mandate the vaccine or weekly testing. So ADP has implemented a vaccination status tracking, a way for employers to offer proof of vaccination surveys I'm pretty sure ADP has, like, what, most of the payroll market and the employers over over 100? Well, that's what's interesting about this, because the
0: requirements can be for employers that have 100 more employees. But my understanding is that the run product is actually kind of their down market product, going after, like, the a payroll crowd, the 12 employee companies.
1: So I believe that the vaccine stuff is actually not part of the run payroll system. These are two separate announcements that got jammed into one oh, article. Oh, p-
0: poor press release. The, which explains, because <laughs> there's one thing just about the run improvements, and it didn't say anything about that. And then, Right. yeah, Got no, it. Two separate yeah. pay- press releases. Makes sense now.
1: So the improvement to run is there's going to be some sort of AI that flags possible payroll errors before you run the payroll. And then you're also going to be able to get alerts from state and local tax jurisdictions directly within run along with instructions on how to address those. So that's what the the run stuff is.
0: Got it. I saw two articles that kind of linked together uh, for point of sale. So there's a study that basically nobody's using Apple Pay, considering how many phones there are that are out there. Mm -hmm. What is there, 100 million iPhones? Maybe 150 million? There's a lot,
1: right? Crazy amount, yes.
0: Crazy amount of iPhones. Of people that take the time to add their credit card or debit card who actually set up Apple Pay on their phone, only 6.1% even use it, ever. So basically it means 93% just, even though they sit up, never pull their phone out and pay. They just choose to use their credit card or some other method when they pay.
1: Now, yeah. you use it, right? I tend to use Apple Pay more these days when I'm buying something online. If there's an Apple Pay option, if you're on a mobile website and it supports that, you can just say, pay with Apple Pay and then you don't have to enter all your card information. I find that really nice. I don't tend to use it at an actual point of sale, like physical point of sale, because pulling out my phone and pulling out my wallet with my credit card in it are kind of like the same amount of work and maybe less work because I know my credit card's always going to work. And maybe I have some issue, you know, where I can't get the... And you don't know until
0: you get up to the counter.
1: And by that time, like, I already have my wallet out or... Yeah, yeah. And, but you know what might change this is the, the virtual driver's licenses we talked about. Because in Arizona and some other states, we are soon going to be able to put our driver's licenses on our phones, and then maybe I'll just leave my wallet at home. The only reason I take my wallet most of the time is because I need it for my driver's license because you can't go anywhere in in the state of Arizona without driving, (laughs) right?
0: And this ties into an announcement from Square. So Square is now going to let, if you're a coffee shop and you're using Square point of sale, you can actually have your customers pull out their phone and they can just take a photo of your QR code at your cash register and pay you that way through the Square Cash app. So they're tying their two ecosystems together. But Hmm. what they're really doing is they're bypassing Apple because every time a merchant pays some another, if you use your iPhone to pay, Apple gets some of that action. There's a, there's a bigger fee. Right. Right. And so basically Square's just cutting out Apple. They're cutting out the credit card companies. They're cutting out the banks because you're just paying from your cash app directly to the merchant through this QR code. I, I kind of look at it and I'm like, okay, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like, what? It's more work to take a photo of that. But mm-hmm. I could totally see retailers pushing people to do this. To, hey, take a picture of the barcode because there's no fees. Right? If, if somebody pays you through the Cash App, you're not going to pay a fee to Square. They're going to push this. Like if somebody pulls out their iPhone, like, oh, don't tap your iPhone, take a photo of this barcode. They're playing middleman in between here
1: and just cutting out Apple from the tap. One last piece of app news. There was another raise. David, you may have heard about this. Melio raised $250 million, tripling its valuation to $4 billion. Congratulations. Thank you.
0: It's exciting. The article actually stays it best, I think, and it'll kind of let you know how my COVID times have been. So Melio said in a statement Tuesday, in the last 18 months alone, it has grown a monthly processing volumes by 5,000%. Five.
1: 5,000%. That's like
0: 50 times? <laughs> yeah. So the company was founded in 2018, and they basically launched in 2019. And then the last 18 months have been 5,000% 5, 5,
1: Process. That's insane. Dollars. Insane. Well, And I see here they've highlighted the partnership with QuickBooks in the press release. And that has got to be what's driving a lot of this growth, right? Is that Bill Pay is now inside of most of the subscriptions for QuickBooks.
0: They should have called it the... QuickBooks Bill Pay powered by Meliódome.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, David, uh, I did get one listener message this week from Dan. Dan said, "Good morning, sir. I'm having the same issue you mentioned last month with the Google Mesh network system. It's dropping here and there, and it's infuriating. Did the new router fix that issue? And did you add any points to stretch out the mesh network in your house?" Dan's referring to the issues I had with my Wi-Fi. I was using Google Mesh. My Zoom calls were having issues, but only for the first few minutes of every Zoom call. And I couldn't figure out what it was. It wasn't my internet speed. It wasn't my Wi-Fi card in my computer. It turned out it was the router itself was being overloaded with too many devices on my network. My computer was not getting prioritized and it didn't have this administrator function where you could reliably prioritize the devices. So I bought a new one. I bought an Asus router. And it's the wire cutter's pick. I think the wire cutter is now behind a paywall, so you can't exactly find that. So it doesn't I, matter. Find- this is
0: Blake's pick, and coincidentally, I, I when I had that power outage and it fried my router and all my network stuff, I switched from Netgear and I'm now I jumped on ASUS 2. I'm using the older ASUS model because mm-hmm. I have a wired backhaul through my house,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: it is the, it is by far above and beyond anything I ever had from Netgear before.
1: So you must be using the Archer AX50.
0: No, I'm using the Zen Wi-Fi Max Mini. Okay. The Asus Zen Wi-Fi. And you have the new Zen Wi-Fi.
1: No, I have the upgraded one for gigabit internet service. It's the Asus RT-AX88U. And it has solved all of my problems. I get amazing Wi-Fi speeds now. It's, It's absurd. I am not using the mesh, functionality. I didn't need to buy an extra access point because it covers my whole house. Most houses, these newer routers can actually cover the whole thing of like, if it's up to 3000 square feet after that, you might need a, an additional one. So that's it for me, David. If our listeners want to get in touch with you online, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: On all the socials, you can just find me. I'm at David Leary.
1: I am at Blake T Oliver. As David likes to say, if you connect with either of us on LinkedIn, just say that you're not a bot. If you want to give us a call and let us know what you think about any of the stories on our episodes or just anything at all, call 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. It goes straight to voicemail. You get a couple minutes to tell us what you think, and we will take a listen, and we might even play it on the air.
0: Actually, I have a great idea that would be really fun this week is everybody should just kind of tweet out at the Cloud Accounting Podcast, like, other names for the Intuit Dome?
1: I'm sure there's some good ideas out there. We'd love to hear them. I,
0: I still think the inside, you're right. They should have the ProAdvisor Pavilion. Any ProAdvisor, if you're a certified ProAdvisor for QuickBooks, you can just go to a game for free, sit up there, enjoy the game. A special box just for the ProAdvisors? advisors. That yeah. would be
1: amazing. Do just it a into suggestion.
0: It. Just a suggestion. That's all.
1: Well, and now Zero needs to buy the naming rights to some sort of facility as well, I think. So get, get your own uh, arena. All right, David, stay healthy. See you here next week.
0: Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven figure accounting firm that doesn't drive you into the ground, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Designed around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, you'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterly. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.